That's the era of infinity pointing backwards forever, but they are present and they are future. That's the era of infinity. They are what they are. They don't change his truths. And I, I like that thought. And with that in mind, let's open in prayer. Lord, please let your word be effective as we read it and engage it and think about it. And would you give us the unction, the appetite to obey what we hear and to put it into practice? We do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you turn, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 31. No secret there that that speaks of biblical womanhood. And as, um, I want to see if I can say this with a straight face. As uh, Brother Bruce pointed out, I am an expert on women. I, uh, I, I just, I know women so very well. You can't find a, a better expert. Yeah, I said that without laughing. Um, there is, um, as, as Adrian Rogers used to point, I worked for Adrian Rogers for a number of years, and I remember him, his take on experts. An ex is a has-been, and a spurt is just a drip. So I am your expert on women, having known all about them and studied them for years. Uh, I also live in Montgomery County, and we, when we moved there and built our house, we're very rural. We're very we're so rural that I can let my cows go. I really don't need fencing because if you're coming to my place, that's where you're coming. You're not passing by. And we are at the end of a rural water line that's piped in from Catagap, which is piped in from Glenwood. And being at the end of that line, I don't know physics very well, but every now and then water gets in, water air gets in a water line, and they have to be bled out. So the city has to come along to the end, to my driveway where it sticks up out of the ground and bleed the air out. And one day, I saw him there, and he just opens it up and just lets water run down the ditch at my driveway. And that's how I found out what he was doing. He's bleeding the lines, the air out of the lines. And he said, he said to me, you know. I come here, this is what I do, I come here to bleed the air out, he goes, but there's never any air in your line, it never needs bleeding, and I say, well, I live with four daughters, four females, and, and then a wife, also a female, they know water, they love water, they use water, baths, showers, and they are no strangers to flushing a toilet, even if it looks like it needs it, so... In my estimation, you'll really never need to come back and bleed these lines if you don't want to. So I am your expert on women, saying that with a complete straight face. Okay, Proverbs. You know, when you, when he, you asked me to preach on biblical womanhood, I was thinking, I always like to approach things kind of methodically. So I think to myself, okay, what is the opposite? It helped me get a grasp on what biblical womanhood is. And I thought, well... The opposite of biblical womanhood, in my mind, would be Quranical womanhood, the Quran. I hope there are no Muslims here today. I, if I have offended you, uh, you can come up and apologize to me when I'm through. But Quranical womanhood, and, and this is really an ancient thought. The, the Quran would treat women like objects, much like chattel, cattle, uh, possessions. And when Jesus came along in his ministry, 
Uh, you know, there were so many things that Jesus did to the modern Pharisees and the scribes. They, it looked so liberal. But Jesus was not introducing new thoughts. He was just trying to correct back into what the truth was. And his view and his interactions with women were so in contrast to what the society had become because they, they were treating them like possessions. And his interactions with them were very human again. But he wasn't introducing something new. If you look in Proverbs 31, he was just treating, for instance, the woman at the well, the sinful women that who he would come in contact with and change their lives and forgive their sin. He was treating them with dignity and respect that Proverbs 31 points out is what a woman ought to be. Proverbs chapter 31. And I want you to look beginning here in verse 10. Proverbs 31 verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? And I remember, um, you know, we talk about virtue and in our modern Notions, at least mine anyway, when I think about virtue, I think about goodness, good, good qualities, good character traits. And I made the mis- same mistake of looking at that in First Peter. We were going over First or Second Peter where it talks about, um, you know, he was admonishing goodness, temperance, sobriety, and virtue. And I thought, well, and aren't you being redundant because goodness or good character and virtue I thought they were the same and when I looked into that Greek word for virtue it really meant essence it was almost like when you squash a grape you're you're doing violence to it that essence is what comes out and so your virtue really is what is going to come out of you when you're rubbed raw when when there's friction there what what is there if it's you know like Dr. Roger used to say what's in the well comes up in the bucket if there's something bitter there, you're going to get bitter. You know, they, they have this, I've seen this commercial now, and it kind of creeps me out for this room freshener that you spray on stuff, and then when you touch it or walk across it, the, the next few days, essence comes out of it. That's weird to me. I don't, want, I don't want stuff coming out of the furniture when I touch it. But that's the idea of that virtue. What's in there is going to come out. In Proverbs, this virtuous woman, we might be tempted to also think that that just means who can find a, a woman who's got good character. But that, that Hebrew word is hayil. I don't pronounce Hebrew words very good. Hayil. And it basically means moral character is included, but this is a broader word. It, it's used to describe a band of warrior men, able, active, mighty, strong, valiant, and full of substance. That's unusual way to describe a woman, isn't it? A band of warrior men. When I think of a band of warrior men, I think of David's men, who were all as strong probably as he was, and what about thirty roughly of them, and they would do these great exploits. Can you imagine a band of men like they were virtuous, able-bodied, ready? We think of uh, special forces in the same way, in the same way, valiant, full of substance, mighty, strong, active. Able. If you're nimble of finger, you can turn to these as I'm as I'm calling them out. Proverbs chapter twelve and verse four to the left here of where we're at. Proverbs twelve. Uh, yes, Proverbs twelve and verse four. A virtuous woman. There it is again. Halil woman. Halil woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh 
ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. So more than just moral character is strength there. Strength to do what she's designed to do. And I'm not talking about strength to work the farm and be a workhorse. I'm talking about strength of character there to accomplish what her role is. Proverbs 18, verse 22. So add a little more color here. Whoso findeth a wife, Proverbs 18, 22. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Have you, sirs, and I'm speaking to men too, have you, sirs, thanked God for his favor to you? You have a wife or you married favor to you from God? How do do we reconcile the woman being the, quote, weaker vessel if she is to be, quote, strength and able-bodied and valiant? She is to be strong of wisdom and grace and ableness. Hayil was used also in Exodus chapter 18, verse 21. Look at that really quick. Exodus 18, verse 21. And here it was speaking of judges. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, Hayil men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten. Able men, fear God, truth. That is the Halil, the virtuous woman. And who can find her? I think what we're seeing here is this is a rare ornament of a person, a Halil woman. Will you be that? Will you determine that you will be that for your husband, for your family, and but especially for your God? She is to be strength, pious, industrious, and a fit help meet. Randy, thank you for your message this morning. You hit extremely well points everywhere in Scripture you went. I was thinking about in Genesis where you covered the help meet fit. When I think about the meet part uh, is really, what is that, an adverb? I'm not good with. It's not a noun, help meet like track meet, it's a help suitable, a help suitable for him. And pop culture today, as far as women is concerned, you know, it seemed like in the 80s, women, the pop culture showed us women as just objects of fantasy. Nowadays, it's changed a little, and the movies that we see or the movies they're wanting us to watch, these superhero movies, and, you know, they'll have Captain America and Thor or whatever, but then you're always going to have half a dozen women who are now acting like men. They, they're ninjas, they can beat men up, and they can scale walls, they can do anything that a man can do, and usually with a smirk and a little bit of sarcasm, better than he can actually do. It's changed a little bit. Pop culture just looks at the outward beauty and now they're looking at physical strength for a woman and trying to bring up the notions that the physical strength, well, she's just as good as a man. She can do do just as well as a man at anything. It says here, a virtuous woman who can find her. True ones are rare. But young men, our young single men, 
should be no less diligent in the search for a virtuous woman. And I would say to our young men, and and I know I'm speaking to a lot of pastors here today, and and I'm basically, I, I would like prayerfully through the Holy Spirit's guidance to give you food, bread, to pass on to your congregations. And one of the things I would have you to tell your young men is to be diligent in the search. Do not settle. Also, one of the things I want to say to the young ladies present, too, you can afford to be choosy. This is exactly what I told my daughters. You can afford to be choosy. More about that in a moment. But our young men should be no less diligent in the search for a Halil woman. And why rubies? Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? You know, rubies, diamonds are nice. They're sparkly, pretty, especially when the sun hit them. And they can have some color essence to them. But a ruby is just right out in front of you with color. Red. What is more vivid color than red? These women... These are what women adorn themselves with. This is something familiar to the people of this age. And we know jewelry today, too. This is something very familiar to them. With the most flashy thing perhaps they could think of was the ruby. Women adorn themselves with them to appear beautiful. But this woman, she herself, her essence, her able-bodiedness, her bravery, her beauty of character is an adornment more beautiful than the ruby itself. She herself is far above merely the physical adornment. First Timothy 2, 9 and 10 teaches us that, doesn't it? That her, the, the godly woman's adornment ought not to be the plaiting of the hair and the outward appearance, but that inward beauty is to be her ultimate adornment. Look in verse 11, Proverbs 31. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Number one, two things here. Number one, he trusts her chastity and purity, which is important. And he trusts her affections toward him, toward the husband. There is a complete trust there. We who know and have virtuous women for our wives know that we can trust them we know what that trust is and what that might look like and might feel like perhaps some of us have experienced that when that trust is broken but the heart of her husband doth safely trust there's not a wonder there's not a doubt there's not a seed of doubt he can say the virtuous woman the able-bodied man he can safely trust in her affections and her chastity and her purity and number two he trusts her not to waste or be overly frivolous with money or resources, no need of spoil. You know, that's the joke that you've, we've seen since the invention of TV and movies. The woman has the, even on Leave it to Beaver, you know, it's like, if I give June the wallet, she's going to go out and be careful, don't spend too much. Of course, June Cleaver never did. She's the idyllic mother. But that's the joke is that the woman is going to be a little frivolous and be a little overboard and, oh, what have you been buying What have you been buying this week? But he trusts her in two ways. Number one, her chastity, her affections. But number two, he trusts her so that there's no need of spoil. She is industrious. She is going to make proper use. Why? Because she is on board as a 
help meet suitable to him. She is on board to help him not to waste, not to be frivolous. A help meet suitable. He's going to trust her in those two ways. If these trusts have been compromised, and you know what? I am speaking to preachers, and you, the, the preachers here represent a lot of... If you, if you add all our congregants, members of our churches, and those who may not be official members but attend regularly, if you add all those people, this represents a large group of people. And you are going to have, no doubt, in your congregations and in your extended families. Maybe you're not a preacher. You, we've all got extended families. You're going to have people whose marriages have been compromised at time at one time or another. Either they've been through it or they're divorced. Or there's possibly men right now that have some doubt as toward their wives' affections. You are going to be preaching and ministering to people like that. Their trust have been compromised. Have they asked forgiveness? The lack of which can bring down a marriage. You know, I've known women, I know of one particular friend of uh, my daughter's that she told me about, and their marriage is very, very rocky. He has turned away from church because his wife, although the relationship did not go far, it was enough to damage his trust of her affections and it was inside of a church relationship that this happened. So his image and his trust in the church has completely been shot. And now, she, although she is completely sorry over that thing, she cannot seem to get the trust of her husband back. And he often is poisonous toward her in his attitude. There ought to be a complete forgiveness there. When forgiveness is desired. And we ought to, as pastors, encourage that forgiveness. And you know, when you forgive, you forget. It is to be put away because when you keep bringing that up. And you know, there were, can you imagine that temptation to continually bring that thing up? Everything at will. We know what happened five years ago, ten years. There is that temptation up. But you know what? If you forgive, it needs to be thrown away in the grave of your forgetfulness. The lack of which can bring down that marriage if there is not that total forgiveness. Ask and then show your repentance by your deeds. Husbands, if you grant forgiveness, then grant it and bury it in the grave of your forgetfulness. And don't keep bringing it up. The heart of her husband doth safely trust. I have heard it preached from pulpits. That man's, you know, people talk about woman's greatest desire and they talk about man's greatest desire, the, the wife's greatest desire, the husband's or wife's desire is for, you know, um, uh, the words escape me, uh, safety, security, and so forth. The man's greatest desire is for the physical act in marriage. I'll not go too deeply in describing that but we know what I'm talking about and I've heard that said even in a, in a Christian even in churches as preached that's man's greatest desire and I think I've, I've always in the back of my mind I thought I'm, I'm, uh, there's something not sure about that and I think I can safely say that the man's greatest desire even above that as big as that is the physical act a man's greatest desire is for respect because if he doesn't have that, 
then that only becomes an act. Satisfying act, but only an act. Men, you know what I'm talking about. If there is not that respect, not from your mother, your brother, your sister, your coworker. I mean the respect from your wife. If she doesn't have it, or if it's not hitting the top of the tank, you're not going to be what you can be. And your helpmate is not meat, is not fitting for you at that moment. That doesn't mean leave her, doesn't mean run off, but that is the issue. And what I'm saying is, wives, that's man's really greatest desire, is to have that respect. Look at back in verse 12. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Do him good. Again, help meet, help fit, help suitable for the man. This is God's design. Now, the world's design, as we've kind of already mentioned, is that she will be strong. She'll be that ninja that can climb the walls. She's independent. She can do her thing. That's what the world is constantly telling us. But she is a helpmeet, a help-fitting. And you know what? That, that's a creation ordinance. We talk about the law at Mount Sinai. But you know, God, God gave some ordinances there at creation. For one thing, work six days and rest the seventh. That, that didn't begin at Mount Sinai. It was defined more distinctly at Mount Sinai. But that began at creation. Also, one man, one woman. That's a creation thing. Also creation ordinance is that she is a help suitable for him caution to the women to the ladies sometimes you know um, one of the best things we men can do for our wives just small it's just small things and really our lives ought to be built of many many small good things that makes up our life. You know, we're always looking for the big thing we're going to do, the big ministry we're going to do. Some of us, maybe that might happen, but really the Christian life is built up of about half a million small things that you do to the glory of God every day. And among the smallest is fixing that sink that stopped up in the bathroom. Little things that are going around the cabinet door that never shuts all the way. And for you to take the time to do that is very important to our wives. I know this from experience. Remember, I'm the expert. And, you know, when we fail to do that, when we get so, and, and I'm, again, I'm speaking from my own experience, when I get so caught up in my agenda, which can be good things. I have a farm and I have a job. And I wake up every day with a... I have a meeting with myself every day and I look at my to-do list, which usually is a page of things, and I'll pick three things that I want to lay my my head on my pillow that night having done, and I'll figure it was a good day. But many times those three things have nothing to do with what my wife would like done. And when they don't have anything to do with her agenda, then she begins to feel slighted. And if enough of that builds up, you don't ever do that. You don't ever fix this. You don't ever fix... And that's... That's a lot of times that conflict. Men, we need to be consistently taking care of those small things because that, if she knows that you're taking care of the small things, she'll have confidence you're going to take care of the big things, really. 
Now, having said all that, here's the caution to wives. Be very careful because when that builds up, because, you know, the Bible says, love your own particular husbands. And that is a Greek word that's idiot, I think, idios. Love your own idiot husbands. Be careful because when your own idiot husband is not doing enough of those things and we get sidetracked, we get so... We're men. We get so involved with what we're doing. We put blinders on. We don't see. And when enough of that builds up, be cautious that what you're feeling as neglect doesn't be... Then your turn is... You, it's almost there's a temptation there to make his whole agenda your agenda now. And say, you don't ever do these things. You need to be doing these things. And in your mind, in his mind, you're telling him, forget everything that's important to you and do these things. Now, is it his fault? Yes, it has been his fault. Is it her fault? Yes, that can become... Dr. Rogers always used to say, it's a very thin pancake that doesn't have two sides to it. And there's fault there. But we need to realize, you know what? He's been busy. I need to give him a little grace. But you know what? Me, sirs, us, we need to realize, you know what? I've completely been ignoring my wife and that sink does need fixing. Not because of the sink. Forget the sink. It's her that I love. And the things that she cares about, I need to give balance to those things. Yes, I'm trying to rule the world, my corner of the world, and get done the work I need to get done. But I can't neglect those little things because that's sending her a big message. And I don't need to do that. But wife also, remember to be patient with us idiots, husbands. And remember that you are our helpmate. Now... I know what you're thinking, and you're rightly thinking it. Wives, you're saying, but his agenda is not quite right. He needs to be more focused on, and you know what? You could very well be right. Here's what you do. You gently tell him. You express yourself. I don't want a wife that doesn't express to me when she thinks I'm off track. I need that. And we want that. Even though it's uncomfortable at the moment, we need that. We need you to tell us what you think. We need your opinions. Your wife is your greatest. She's your queen, but she's also your greatest asset to help you think about what you're doing. So wives, if you see that your husband is in error, express it humbly, gently, and then go tell God on him. You tell God on him. He is not, Lord, do you see this? And Lord, if I'm wrong, you correct me. But Lord, this is what I see and this is what he needs to be doing. Lord, will you fix my idiot husband? And he will, do you think that is a prayer he will not answer and not be on the ball about? Helping her husband to be the godly man that she really wants him to be. Let's go back to Proverbs 31. Which just says, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. These are wonderful verses. This is painting. Is this painting a picture of a Quranical woman? Or painting a picture of the women that Jesus spoke to in a lifting up manner? She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Very industrious. She is like... The merchant's ships, she bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat, food, to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field, and she buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth, she planteth the vineyard. This is an amazing woman. She is not just sitting around mealy mouth. 
she actually has a mind and she thinks about investing something within the within the she doesn't go she's not going outside of her husband's wishes she would not do that but within her husband's prerogative and within his wishes she thinks you know what my time would be best spent doing this oh by the way I've got to take care of my household she would not neglect that but she is also looking to the betterment of her household she considers a field she buys it with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard she girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms she is making herself fit for the task at hand either mentally or physically she perceiveth that her merchandise is good you know what confidence is good I'm probably the worst salesman to even consider having a store um, I've never been a good salesman but you know what I've realized? And we have antiques at the store, and I've, I've learned a few things. One of the things I've learned is that everything sells eventually. You find the right person, somebody will buy it. But I don't like, I like pricing things for what they're value. I so much appreciate what you said about hiding the peaches, the bigger peaches in the box. That just rings so true to me. My mother used to, her daddy used to tell her they picked, they, they worked cotton fields. He was a sharecropper, and one of the things... When they picked peas, uh, whippoorwill peas, at about this time of year, they would t- he would tell them, lay your peas in the bucket straight. Don't throw them in, because if you throw them in, they'll be jumbled and you'll get less peas in the bucket. When you go to sell that bushel, you want them laid in nice and even so they're packed down well. You know what, you know what the key to selling something is? Selling something good. When it's good and when it's worth it. When I see an antique and I think, man, I... I, I wouldn't mind having this. That's quality. That's It's not been marred. It's not rusty. It still works. You ought to buy this. This is a really good price. I can, If I can honestly tell them, and I have confidence in it. And see this woman, look at this. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. She knows it's good. And she's not going to puff it up unnaturally, and she's not going to lie about it. But if it's good, it's good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. You know, not only does she have servants, as we're going to see, because she gave, she gave a portion to her maidens. You know, she's seeing to it they've got everything they need. But you know what? Her hand is on those tools, too. She's not just dishing the work out. She stretcheth out her hand. If that weren't enough, taking care of the, her workers in her house, her family, herself, she stretched out her hand to the poor. Constantly looking around. Who can I help in the community? She reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She, now look at this. I like this verse, 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. Um, seeing to their physical, their comforts now. Um, it reminded me, it's, you know, when I, when I get reminded of other verses, I'm, I try to turn my Bible into a, my own reference Bible because when the Holy Spirit will put another verse in, I'll write that verse there in that margin and in the other place I'll write the verse where I just came from. And what this reminded me was, I thought, isn't there something in Psalm chapter 112? And look at it quickly, I'll show you. Psalm chapter 112 and Proverbs 31 to me are two sides of the same pancake because Psalm 112 is talking about the godly man, is it not? I think about my own father when I think of Psalm chapter 112. But look in Psalm 112. It's kind of the mirror image of Proverbs 31 except for men. And it says this, verse 7. 
Psalm 112, verse 7. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. You know what? I matched that up with this verse over here. And he, he's not... Bad news. You know, you hear bad news. And so everybody, you know, likes to pass on. Oh, did you hear, just hear what happened on Wall Street? Did you just... You know, it, hoping that everyone will... Oh, man, I can't believe that. Well, this man, the godly man, hears bad news. And he's like, really? Doesn't surprise me. Bring it on. He's not afraid of evil tidings. Why? Because his heart is fixed, trusting in God. He's... He's always looking this direction. When he hears that coming in the side ear here, it's not going to shake him because his heart is fixed on God. I see the same thing with this woman here. She is not afraid of the circumstances, of the outer circumstances, the weather, whatever circumstances are going to jar everybody else. She's not afraid for her household, for all her household. She's already taken care of it. She is constantly, she, like the man, is constantly looking to the Lord. It says here, Later on, she feareth the Lord. Verse 30, a woman that feareth the Lord. She's fearing it. She's looking at him. So when the news comes of snow or COVID or virus or be afraid with the COVID flavor of the month, whatever is going to come next. And trust me, they're going to keep coming. This woman has no fear of the snow or the virus. Within reason... You know, we don't do, I told our people when it first started happening in 2020, you do what's prudent for you. If you're older, if you're vulnerable, you do what's necessary to protect. And for the rest of us, we ought not to fear bad news or the snow. We need to live our lives and we need to trust God because he is the giver or the taker away of life, period. This woman, is. you know what, here's one of the funny things about 2020. When, when the... You know, when, when everything was coming at, and, and you know, when news comes at you so quick and it's scary and it's conventional wisdom, I, I, it's my personality, I doubt it to begin with. We started drinking from that fire hose of, oh, this is going to be bad, this is going to be bad. I automatically think, is it really? And there were so many people, I thought, I was looking around, I was saying, you know, I think, no, but surely nobody will fall for the exotic misrepresentation, the over-the-top, because we know what the thing was. We know it's dangerous. We also know that some of the medicines that worked were denied us. And we know that God is ultimately in control of life. Should we really have fear about that? Should we really fear the snow? What I thought was amazing was that some of the bravest men who were saying some of the strongest and most courageous things, the right things regarding the virus, were women. Where were the men? We had female governors who were saying the, the smart things, the right things. And I was thinking, why can't men stand up and say this? Say the brave things. That's why I jokingly say the bravest men we had during that crisis were women. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Because for the most part, our men are effeminate, basically. I'll, more about that in just a second. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. For further reference there, I guess you could run off to Psalm 112 and read about him. Verse 24, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. 
strength and honor are in are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. Oh, I forgot one thing. You know, back in verse 22, you see it talks about clothing in 22, and it talks about clothing in 25. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Now, I perceive that these are fine things. You know, Lydia in the New Testament was a seller of purple, which was a, a fine commodity. That was not your workwear. It's fine stuff. So should we, you know, we're to adorn, women are to adorn ourselves with, you know, virtuous spirits and not the plating of hair, not the wearing of gold. So does that mean completely stay away from anything? Do we, do we become Amish? Do we completely stay away from anything that has color or beauty? It doesn't seem to say that here because she is making herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Now, her quality clothing adds to her character and doesn't detract or replace her character. For further reference, see verse 25 because verse 25 tells us that strength and honor are her real clothing. That is what you see first when you engage in And then the beauty of what you look at next, her silks, her purple, it doesn't take away from the fact that you first saw strength and honor here. You saw Halil. You saw an able-bodied woman who has character. And you know what? You can wear... I'm glad that she wears nice things. This woman could afford them. You know why she could afford them? Probably because she considered a field and bought it. She has helped her husband. That is a helpmeet. Can you imagine a helpmate that is not... You know, what you, you who are employers, you want employees that don't just come to you with every problem and go, okay, I need a solution. I'm glad you're watching the problems, but if you come to me with a problem, can you also come to me with maybe a couple of solutions and I'll pick one? We don't want employees that just are bringing the problems to us. That's one level. That's better than the employee nowadays who doesn't care about anything and doesn't bring you anything. At least tell me what the problem is. But we want an employee who rises to the level and says, okay, this has happened. It's a problem. But we could do this. We could do this. We could do this. What do you want me to do? That's what I want. And I pick one. I say, well, let's go this way. She is not coming to her husband with every problem. But she's, you know, she bought a field. She considered it. She bought it. And you know what? I bet she has, I bet she gives her husband every, as if permission. If her husband said, you know what? I don't think it was a good idea to buy that field. You know what? I think she would do something about it. But to the extent and within her purview, she is doing what helps her husband. She is a, a, a help meet suitable for him. So verse 26, she openeth her mouth with, with wisdom And in her tongue is the law of kindness. In other words, the things that she thinks are not just, uh, you know, Randy mentioned the verse, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That is so today. You are so correct. That's a, you know, I think the three most common words today are, well, I think. Well, I think. You know, about the about the, uh, the Russians invading Ukraine. Well, I think about, you know, gender uh, confusion. Well, I think, what, what, is, what does God think? When she opens her mind, there's a principle behind it. It's not just like she's, well, I think this. When she opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is a law, there is a law. What is that law of kindness? It's God's law. God's law is kindness, ultimately. And when she speaks, that it's, it's, it's the fountain flowing from the principles of God's law. 
She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. You know, we would love... We, it, it's a, I'm proud of our four daughters. They have done well, are doing well. They are in the... All of them in that stage. Some of them a little further along. The stage between childhood and adulthood. The oldest is married, and I'd say that's well in adulthood. She's going to have our first grandchild in December. So congratulate me. The, but all of them are in that stage of that transition area. The youngest is on the front edge going in. The oldest is on the back edge, probably about to come out of it. And when, when we have our kids, we all think, well, I, I can handle this God. I'm a godly man. My wife is godly. We're going to raise godly kids. There ain't no doubt about it. They're going to be saved. But they have their own minds. It took me a long time to realize that, that I'm not in control. I'm not their Holy Spirit. I can't, con- I can't convict them as much as I tried. I tried to convict them of sin. And then I realized I am not the Holy Spirit. I teach. I, I teach as I go. Deuteronomy. As we, every, everywhere. I was always looking for a lesson, whether it was in pop culture. You see what they're doing? What does the Bible say about that? And give them a reason, give them something to look at and to observe and to be able to contrast. But I still can't guarantee that they're going to be saved. That's where I go to God, as as sovereign grace people. If God has, and we believe God has ordained the end. If they're to be saved, God has ordained it. But if he's ordained an end, he's ordained a means. And, and, And God willing, that is us, that is the parent saying, God... Save my child. Save my child. But we still can't. I can't guarantee that. But I'm responsible for taking. But look, when this woman has done well, what does God crown her with? Her children saying, my mama is a godly mama. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously. Halil. But thou excellest them all. Then the verse that we paint on signs, hang in our house, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, and they are. Favor is deceitful, it can fool you, flattery can fool you, beauty is truly skin deep, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And then give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own let her own works Praise her in the gates. You know what I think that's saying? What she does and who she is speaks for itself. Let her own works praise her in the gates. There, you know, you so rightly said there's a lot of confusion today. And, and it, is, it is demonic, the confusion. You know, I think of the word feminine. And I love it. I love things feminine. And, and without without getting graphic, I, I just just thinking about this because I, I I tend to have, I guess have an artistic side, and I think of God as being an artist. Flowers, you know, at every month there's a different flower popping up out there. We don't even I don't even know the names of all of them. I don't, the colors are varied, the shapes are varied, how long they last are varied, what they do during the day, open, close, is varied, and how they smell is varied. And that's just the flowers. 
We don't even, I don't even know that we've categorized all the insects there are. God is an artist. But when I think about some of his greatest, and I'm not talking about his greatest work in salvation. That is in a room all by itself, Jesus Christ. But I'm just talking about the things, and keep in mind we're looking at a cursed world. We're not even looking at the original. And it's still beautiful. And when I think of the greatest, one of the greatest paintings he ever did, you know, it's okay. Think about the human hand. Mine's not real pretty. You know, I cut a big chunk off of it feeding hogs this week. I was, I was getting crazy. I was feeding cucumbers and I was slicing them like this. I was seeing how fast I could go and I sliced a chunk off my hand. Other than that, and maybe not my hand, the, the, the feminine hand is going to be much more beautiful. Is not the hand a beautiful thing? It doesn't look hideous. When I think of hideous, I, I, you know, that, that might be like a sloth hand or something like that. But the human hand is a beautiful thing. But if you cut it off and lay it there on the carpet, that's hideous. I don't want to see that. Things not as they're supposed to be are hideous. But things be, think about that hand. You think about that, the, the Michelangelo painting of God and Adam's hand and touching and how he beautifully, somebody posed their hands for that painting. You think about that. And now think about the female body. Without getting graphic, Lord, how can you make shapes and images ring out to where there's absolute beauty there? And he's an artist. Do you think he's going to create a being like that and then put her in a Quranical situation where she is just cattle chattel and an object to be traded or bought or sold or put down or insulted? No, Jesus had it right. Jesus started treating her like the beautiful, beautiful biblical woman he knew they could be once he offered them and granted them forgiveness of sins. And that's how he treated them. There was a man, this is a joke, there was a man who was not being very kind to his wife and he said, I don't see how in the world God can make you so beautiful and so dumb at the same time. And um, incredibly enough, she knew the answer. She said, well, he made me so beautiful so you'd be attracted to me. He made me so dumb so I would be attracted to you. There was a, and this is an anecdotal story. It may be true, and I think it took place, if it did take place, it took place in a third world country. And I want to say, in, in closing here, I'm sorry I may have been too long. I want to say in closing that men, I guess the last word to men, um, you have a great deal of power in not creating, not manufacturing, but bringing out the beauty of the women in your household. Your wife and your daughters, if God has blessed you with daughters, and they indeed are a blessing. A diamond in Murfreesboro may be beautiful, but if it's buried in the ground until somebody finds it, it does no good. It's really not that pretty with all the dirt on it until you bring it out and let the light hit it. That is of the women in your household. This old story, I don't remember the guy's name, supposedly... He was in a third world country and he was in a culture, and this may have been ages ago, he was in a culture that it was a cattle raising culture. 
And I'm not talking about 200 head like we have nowadays, but you know, you you might have a small herd. You might have 20 cows or 10 or whatever. And when you would go to to when you found someone you loved and wanted to marry, you would go to their father and you would bring the dowry for the honor of him giving his daughter's hand in marriage. And what in this culture what was valuable were cattle. And so if you had enough money and means, now if you didn't have anything, you could go ask for a woman's hand and perhaps her dad, father would give her to you. But if you had anything going for you, you might be able to scrounge up enough and part with one of your steers, one of your cows, to be able to purchase her hand. And there was this man who fell in love with this woman. He was older, not that attractive of a man. And he fell in love with one of the old maids of the town who was not thought to be very beautiful outwardly. She was a fine girl, but nobody had sought her hand because she didn't have that extra outward beauty. And this young man, as old as he was and knowing as old as she was, he fell in love with her and he said, I must have her as my wife. I want her. It was almost the picture of God knowing Israel. I choose Israel. God knowing his elect. I choose them. I will have them of my own good pleasure. And that's what he decided. And so he said, I, I must bring, I, I, I so value her, I will bring a, a dowry to her father that he can respect. And you know, he worked and he worked and he worked and he worked. And then that day, if you had a cow to bring to the father, wow, you were well off. If you had Every once in a while, every once in a blue moon, you might have two cows. That was a beautiful lady. This young man worked, and he worked, and he worked, and he worked, and he got to the point where he one day brought three cows to the father of Sarah, was what her name was, as far as I remember. Nobody had ever heard of that. It was unthinkable that someone would bring three cows. He brings the three cows. The father gives him her hand in marriage. They become married. And it was said that in the days and the years to come, because she saw the value that he placed on her, that inward beauty started to shine and started to shine and started to shine. And her virtuousness, her halil became more halil. Her outward beauty even began to be affected. Have you ever seen somebody that is outwardly beautiful, but they are sour and their beauty is ripped from them? I see people come in the store, they're outwardly beautiful beautiful lady but she is bitter and she is sore and there's something about her that's just kind of like a train wreck you want to look but you don't and then you see people who are just inwardly happy maybe they're not the beautiful most beautiful they're not a beauty queen but they have a beauty you can't take your eyes off them because they love themselves they have confidence sarah became that you know it was said that she became the most beautiful people would come from foreign lands just to get a glimpse of this beautiful girl the three-cow woman. Now, did he make her beautiful? No, that beauty was there. He only brought out what was there. Fathers, you have a lot of power. The, biggest, the best advice I could give a father, if you have sons, sons or daughters, especially daughters, you tell your daughters how beautiful they are. Don't make it up. You won't have to. They are beautiful. But you tell them. You let them know. You also let them know what's not appropriate to wear. That's important. And don't, women, mothers, uh, there's a lot I left out. 
We need to be on top of what they wear because that is a pull. That is going to be a pull. Be on top of that. But you know what? Don't just lay down the law. Give them a reason. Go to the Bible. Give them, a re- give them Proverbs 31. She wasn't wearing skimpy silks and purple. I'm certain of that. You give them a reason for that, but they need to hear that. Your sons, encourage them, as he pointed out, to be men of God. Yes, that. And your daughters, encourage them. You are beautiful. There is beauty there. And you can afford to be choosy. Don't settle. Do not settle for any guy. Just because you... You know what? You may go through years of your high school not having a date, not even having a request for one. Don't give in to the first guy that looks your way. Your first questions ought to be, how much does he love the Lord? Does he go to church? Where do you go to church? That's perfectly valid questions. Don't ignore that. I come to an end. We are not to ride roughshod roughshod over our wives. Unless you get in a boat, cross the pond, and go to Buckingham Palace, the wife in your home is as close to royalty as you will ever get. You are to treat her like a queen. Open doors. Open doors for you. Open car doors. Now, not today. Don't do it today because she's just going to say, you're doing it just because Gary said it. Wait a couple of days. Let it fade off. Let people see you at Walmart. Let people see you opening the door for your wife, the car door for your wife. And I don't care if you run into a women's... Open the door for other ladies. Treat them with respect. Jesus would have. Open the door for other ladies. And if they get, if you get a women's liberty that says, no, you're not going to do that like they did in the city, just wear it as a crown of honor. But we need to, you need to treat the woman, the women in your house, as the queens they are, and they will rise to that level. Change your world. You know, we, we say we meet here as believers. We say a lot of religious, spiritual-sounding things, good things, and then we leave feeling good about ourselves. But in, at the end of the day, as you said, our world is upside down. Bad. Bad upside down. There's gender confusion. Effeminate is hideous, and that's what generally our men are. Our churches have is oozed into the churches to where our church is so effeminate. Not this one. Prayfully not yours. But too often, that's why men don't come. And that's why women are in charge, because it has gotten so effeminate, it's just touchy-feeling. Real biblical manhood, as you pointed out, is masculine. Real biblical womanhood is feminine. I love the feminine. I hate the effeminate. It is grotesque. Branson and I were talking on the way up. The Tower of Babel came up. But you know, originally it wasn't called the Tower of Babel. It was called the Tower unto God. When God struck down confusion, then they called it the Tower of Confusion. This confusion over gender, it is demonic and it is Babel. It is the heart of the demonic. That God would so corrupt minds. And now our kids are confused. Commercials. Commercials now have two women. You think, well, are they college roommates? Or are they living together? Or is that a marriage? They make the commercials. They're so ingenious. They make the commercials where they can be wherever you want them to be. And our kids are so confused. And I think, well, maybe I need to try this out. I'm just seeing it everywhere. You better pray. You say, well, this is messed up. We just need, Lord, just come get us because we can't deal with We can't fix this. It's too overwhelming now. Fix your corner. You say, well, but I'm not the Holy Spirit. Correct. You can't 
fix your corner. But you know what? You can train your corner. You can be, you can be God's light in your corner. Whether that light is accepted or not, that's up to the Holy Spirit. But you, we, this is what we do. We are light in our corner. It may be your house. It may be your family. It may be your church. It may be your part of town. It may be your extended. Are, do you have messed up extended family like I do? Liberals in it? Yeah, I do. Saying some of the stupidest things that Facebook has ever seen. We've all got them. But you know what? You hang in there and you be that light. Let's pray. Lord, give us boldness to not compromise. But Lord, give us the gentleness to love the hideous. There is a line there. Again, Lord, help us not to compromise and give in to the hideous. But teach us how to minister to the hideous. The effeminate. The women who think they're men, the men who think they're women, the children who are confused. Help us to be a light. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your attention.